Welcome to another episode of Sodeshi with Deshi, and this week my guest is Shivam Vidge, who is a contributing editor to The Print and has worked at The Huffington Post, um, and I followed your work since the 2015 Bihar elections. Shivam, it's a pleasure to have you on this week's episode. Thank you. Pleasure to speak to you, Zanj. Now, a concept of Sodeshi with Deshi is to make things that are taking place in India a bit more digestible to the diasporic crowd, whether it's in the UK, Australia, and obviously the United States. Um, your writing, um, I believe, is a huge proponent of that. Um, it's pretty scandalous, I would say. My writing is scandalous? Yeah. <laughs> by the amount of hate you get. <laughs> How does it feel to be hated by every single mainstream political party? Uh, really? Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, see, I'm a writer of opinion pieces, right. and I don't meet or talk to many politicians. And whether they love me or hate me, I have no idea. Um, I get a lot of trolling online, sure, from all sides. But, you know, in my defense, I write what I feel like writing. I do not write anything because log kya kahenge. I don't write what, I'm, what, what I think you want me to write or what... I just write, they'll say, like, this is what I really want to say. And if... Some people think it's scandalizing, some people think it's obvious, some people think it's trashy internet hot take, <laughs> some people think this is a good point, some people think I, I, I don't know what to say, I just, I genuinely just feel like writing this, I'll write this. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the most I'll say that I do exercise some amount of censorship, self-censorship, because there is of course a lot of hate out there. There is especially the Modi propaganda machinery is you know they're very organized lot in character assassination is going after you and producing fake news after you I think apart from murder there's no crime I have not been accused of so it is sad but yes I do exercise some amount of censorship which I did not a few years ago Um, but maybe maybe it's for the best now, before we get into, you know, the subject of politics and your writing, I want to understand kind of, have you had trouble finding a medium, a source of meeting where you can actually produce the content that you're producing, you know, state the headlines that you're stating? Because I feel, you know, sometimes mainstream media can be, not TV media, I'm talking about print online, can be somewhat pretentious in terms of what we're writing, what they're publishing. Have you ever had that trouble? Well, I currently write at the print mm-hmm. where I cannot tell you how grateful I am to Shekhar Gupta Mm -hmm. for the amount of freedom I've been given. Mm -hmm. Not a line has been censored. There hasn't been a time when I've been told I can't write this. Mm -hmm. Not a column has been killed. Mm -hmm. It's uh, and you know he gets a lot of flack for things things I write and uh, I'm extremely grateful to him. Um, but even before that, I found, you know, I've been mainly an online writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my youth, I have worked in news magazines and so on. I have found that 
I personally feel mentally more free when I'm not a full-time employee of a media organization right. and I'm not a full-time employee of the print. Uh, I'm a contributing editor, I'm a columnist. Um, but also, the web has greater freedom to say what you want to say as compared to newspapers or TV. Uh, it, it's fascinating how before 2014, a lot of TV channels of all kinds used to call me as a sort of panelist and a pundit on the shows. After 2014, uh, only NDTV would call me. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, the, the pr problem of censorship, the problem of um, not being able to say, not being able to find a platform is definitely much greater in the mainstream media. The web is a free space, God knows for how long. So one question though on this, the debate of web, digital, and TV, I mean, what's the future, like what's the most influential, do you think it is the, the web digital sphere or is it, you know, India is the only country that still has a, um, statistically speaking, uh, a inclination of, of print readership? Um, well, I mean, as we speak, yeah. uh, we're speaking today, a day after the union government presented its budget and for the first time in history, the government has introduced a 10% uh, uh, import duty on newsprint. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. clearly the government uh, wants to hasten the decline of newspapers right. in India. I think um, the most accurate answer, this is something we've been wondering about across the world and in India forever. The most accurate answer is that we are already living in an age of media fragmentation mm -hmm. where nobody, no medium, no individual, no media organization, no byline, no masthead is as influential or powerful as it used to be. Just to give you one example, Mr. Arnav Goswami, <laughs> you know, Republic TV is still the number one channel in the ratings, I think, right? But before 2014, his impact was something else. People, you, everybody was talking about what Arnav uh, said or did not say in his show. And you know, after 2014, I find that um, you know the polarization is so complete that people talk about Arnav only in a small right-wing bubble and not in a general mainstream sense. The general mainstream sense Unless no longer exists. Yeah. No longer, I mean, no longer the 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 uh, sort of split down the middle, the polarization, the filter bubbles we all live in, that is so serious now, so complete, mm -hmm. that there is nobody with a lot of influence. And it all, uh, it, it all feeds into each other. The Republic show is also on Twitter, yeah. and a new channel, Tiranga TV, new yeah. channel. Did uh, they fire? You know, <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, it's probably gonna close down <laughs> soon. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, they are not even widely available on cable TV. Yeah. And yet they might do a show which will go on uh, web, on Twitter, on YouTube, and make enough noise that the government is responding to it. Mm -hmm. So we live in a very different kind of age where we should give up the idea that one medium, one company, one individual will have a lot of influence. Mm -hmm. And may I add, um, at the cost of some humility, that people like me who are digital animals were saying that this will happen since like early 2000s. We were saying that all of these big media companies and stars, they're going to come down in influence yeah. and they have. Yeah. Now, I'm gonna, you know, talking about humility, um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually would compare, and this is for our audience um, abroad, uh, I would compare you, um, and maybe I'm just patting your back a little bit too much, is the transition of BuzzFeed News, right? <laughs> And that is Shivam Vij. Uh, BuzzFeed News, not in India, um, but BuzzFeed News in general in the States, where mm. it went from you know a 
literally like, oh, what you know, type of person survey are you? And you know, little memes graphic to a substantial news digital news source where they were the first ones uh, coming out with amazing, you know, Supreme Court hearings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now, not to that level, but at the same time, that's what you've kind of done as well, where you have devolved what is being taken, right? These very serious, complex issues, made them either digestible for people, or um, you've made them funny, right? Are things that are interesting that you wouldn't really read in the Hindu, you wouldn't read at the Indian Express, and that's refreshing for people like me, but also people that necessarily can't, you know, uh, understand the nuances of Indian politics. Uh, what do you have to say to that? Besides. Thank you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you, but I really don't know what to say to that. It's not a question. Uh -huh. um, I think I think it comes from the fact that I'm an internet animal. I, I'm one of India's earliest bloggers. Mm. Um, I've been blogging since 2003 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I also have a different perspective of uh, both media and politics. Mm -hmm. um, I... I'm a field reporter, um, I'm an opinion writer, I try to make sense of things, I try to uh, glean perspective and then, you know, uh, give perspective. And in, in, in that sense, I combine digital politics and media. And, 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 and that's what I've been trying to do for the longest time, you know, I was co-founder of Scroll.in in 2014. I was co-founder of a, a lefty team block called Kafila in 2006. So, so I've been around doing these things, uh, making a lot of mistakes, learning from them, mm -hmm. uh, learning from the successes as well. And uh, there's a new political culture which is very digital and I try to practice it. Mm -hmm. Now you're just briefly talking about, you know, how to explain how to so how do you explain writing an op-ed on how Rahul Gandhi wears his white kurtas? Oh well, <laughs> so I think um, when Narendra Modi won a clear majority into 2014, uh, first since 1984, I like a lot of people were in for a big shock and a big surprise, right? I was in denial, I was the sort of person who used to say Modi can never be India's Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. And I found around that time in 2014 that our inability to understand this phenomenon of Modi not only becoming Prime Minister and winning the election, but this majority, right? I grew up in an India where it was taken for granted that India will always be a coalition government mm -hmm. and Indian general election is a sum of the states. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, blah, blah. All that received wisdom was sort of thrown into the Ganges mm -hmm. by Narendra Modi mm -hmm. in 2014. And people like me have been trying to understand how did it happen. Mm -hmm. There is one kind of left liberal response, which is to say, oh, India is overcome by Hindutva, right? right well, right. but Advani was not Hindutva, <laughs> so why was he losing, right? And I came upon the conclusion that there's something about communication in politics, political communication, mm -hmm. something about voter persuasion, mm -hmm. something about what is casually called in the media image. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been trying to understand that since 2014. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of Narendra Modi, the ideologue. Mm -hmm. I think he's been a 
rather bad prime minister right but i cannot help but be a fan of modi the politician and modi the communicator and that perspective leads you into various directions you know you wonder for instance why modi is the only indian politician who uses a presidential teleprompter something that is very normal in the west right, right. everybody i think with the exception of donald trump <laughs> uses <laughs> a, a presidential teleprompter similarly you also wonder about sort of clothes and i researched how a number of politicians approach uh dressing and attire you know uh, mayawati dresses in a certain way she used to dress in a certain way Beforehand. before in the, uh, sort of the mid 90s uh and <clears throat> when we talk of image the image of politicians sometimes the image is literally the image it is the photograph yeah. uh which is in in the digital age photos and videos of politicians are easy to access you know before that you had only tv before tv you had to go see a rally or you would see their photograph in a poster but now we are bombarded with images like there is a whole app only dedicated only to images <laughs> it's called instagram right, right, right. so uh, the what what you wear is part of your political messaging mm -hmm. right and i mean if you look at bollywood for instance people write whole articles about what bollywood stars wear to the airport yeah. <laughs> you know airport, I mean, yeah. so so um it, that is why i uh, you know with rahul gandhi the question of his address becomes even more important when you consider modi's dressing right modi you know the modi kurta yeah. the modi jacket forget the nehru jacket is now called the modi jacket uh he dresses three times a day he he it is a lot of what is called cosplay right he he wear the headgear of the state he's going to he wear the uniform of the country he's going to um so why does modi do what he does and does modi's dressing sense have anything to do with the clear majorities he wins and the answer is yes because image is everything you know if you if you're trying to convince voters that you are a man who can run the country you're a man in control you're a man who, of leadership your dress has to convey that image right. and rahul gandhi's dress conveys the image of a casual carefree even careless politician and that is what i wrote and i'll tell you sudanshu i'm not making this up i the the controversial line in my article for which i got the most flack was that a man the exact words i wrote was a man who keeps rolling up his sleeves a man who cannot look after his sleeves how will he run the country <laughs> right and i got a lot of flag for this i swear recently in this election in gorakhpur i met a voter who when i was asking him what is wrong with rahul gandhi why do you dislike him so much he said wo to khali apni baahein aise aise karta rehta hai i was like can i hug you can i please hug you <laughs> so i think i think it's important that um uh, uh politicians i mean my critic should just look at mahatma gandhi right i mean mahatma gandhi decided to start wearing only a loin cloth he actually wrote about why he's doing this and he said i made this decision after a lot of thinking and i started doing this and th this is what i'll wear forever and consistency was so important to him Uh, people who use dress for messaging uh -huh. are so careful about consistency whether they are steve jobs or whoever right that they will not change their dress for anything 
when Mahatma Gandhi was going to England for those round table conferences, he said, I will still wear this loincloth. People said, it's so cold, how will you manage? He said, I will. Yeah. Right? Rahul Gandhi, some days he's wearing jeans and kurta, some days he's wearing jeans and shirt, <laughs> some days he's wearing jeans and sort of uh, uh, kurta and pajama. Right. Those sneakers don't go with kurta pajama. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Modi wearing sneakers with kurta pajama? Mm. He will but want that was a trend though. In 2008, 2009, people were wearing kurta, jeans, and then the sneakers. <laughs> well, then, then do it every day. Then yeah. make it, then make it your uniform. Have your own signature style. That you should, yeah. Yes, yeah. and 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 that should mean something. It should, it should be part of a design that this is the image I'm trying to project. Right. Rahul Gandhi does not know the image he's trying to project. He's just, I do So we'll stop with the Rahul Gandhi bashing for now before I get any. Push <laughs> back, you already have enough, I don't want any. Sure. Sure. Um, but I think you, uh, you know, make up an important point because this has actually been done so much in the West. We talk about Donald Trump's length of his tie. We talked about how, you know, Barack Obama wore the tan suit. We talk about, you know, how Barack Obama looks so good and, you know, the things that he was wearing. We're bound to do that, but here in India, that's, you know, it's a hush-hush topic, but if you go on the local routes, when I read your piece, I was like, this has finally been said. You know, you will never see Jaya Lalita without, you know, or in the past, with that, that green immaculate, you know, the Saint Sardi, etc., with the Lal Bindi, etc. She did that role perfectly. Uh, Chandra Baba Naidu, like you would talk about the, you know, creamish off yellow tint, etc. And same thing in the West. You know, it's not something Indian politicians are not aware of. Right. Because as what I... Indian consumers, readers. Yeah, Indian political analysts don't make points like these because yeah. they're considered frivolous, you uh, know. Yeah. The sort of... Uh, Is uh, anything frivolous anymore? The, 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 the sort of... <laughs> I don't know. The, the sort of big theorists who write in uh, the Hindu and the Indian Express, for them it will be a very frivolous point to make, you know. Uh, this will be done in India, uh, basically, features writer on the features pages. We'll call up five fashion designers <laughs> and take their inputs on different politicians' clothing yeah. and they will give their fashion sort of Sense. design sense. Yeah. One of the criticisms of my article was that how am I an authority on fashion? <laughs> they don't understand it's not about fashion, it's about <laughs> po political communication through what you are wearing. Right. Okay, so I'm going to stop with this article because <laughs> we've spoken a lot about it. But it's interesting, and I think you segued into uh, another big uh, topic that I wanted to cover was this when you said this left liberal ideologue, right? And I, could you explain a bit better for our viewers as well is, you know, what is it, and, and this goes into your Dear Liberal article as well, what is this liberal political spectrum uh, here in India, in, in contemporary India, for, for young people like us? And how do you equate that to, let's say, the left-right traditional political spectrum in, um, in the United States? Well, I don't know about the U.S., but it's, uh, the U.S. liberal space, I think, is far more vibrant. In India, liberals... What does it mean to be a liberal in India? Is there? I, uh, I hear you know editors writing books about why am I liberal and I don't. Yeah. Know, but it just so, seems very hollow. Yeah. So 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 I don't have a clear answer to your question. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> difficult question. What does it mean to be liberal in India? I think um, it refers to a very. When I use the word liberal, I refer it to a very broad spectrum. I don't actually mean liberal. I. In fact, the word term often used in India is left-liberal. The spectrum ranges from um, the extreme left to, let's say, the kind of mainstream that Congress people are. Mm. 
and in between it includes Gandhians, it includes uh, Nehruvians, so it includes social activists, NGO activists, it includes uh, people fighting for secularism, for sort of uh, the, the rights of the poor, it includes human rights activists, it includes legal activists. So it's a very broad spectrum uh, and I think if there is one thing that defines a liberal in India is they are not Islamophobic. Okay. On everything else you can find differences. Mm. We, we, within this broad spectrum of left liberals, there will be people with different kind of views on on economy and, and the private sector and the public sector and socialism and capitalism mm. and uh, on foreign policy, on even, even on something like um, uh, nationalism and Pakistan, yes. there they will be a difference of opinion within this broad left liberal spectrum, right? Um, there are those, uh, Barkha that defines her, herself as a liberal, but she is the, uh, uh, you know, the, the sort of army militaristic nationalist, um, uh, and yet there are those who do not like militaristic nationalism, but they're also left liberals. So I think the, the common factor is you are not a Muslim basher. Okay, so this is really interesting, right? Because not only the point about, you know, people banding in left and right about Islamophobia, but that in India, a liberal is staggered on the issue you're on rather than the liberal defining what side of the issue you're on. I don't know if I'm making sense. It's making sense in my head, but it's topic-wise, right? You can be a liberal or a right-wing, right? Depending on your economic issues, whether it's whether you want more, you know, federalism in the uh, structure, if you want more of like a, you know, um, more sovereignty within the states or within um, the federal government. Whether what I'm t trying to say is, it's what what I see you saying is, is that it, there's an issue based. Uh, spectrum of left and right and people can meet be you know in one side of one you know spectrum for one issue and on the other be on one but there's one defining for a liberal liberal is not to be Islamophobic uh, yeah broadly I would say I don't know if I conveyed that right broadly broad, broadly you're right but um, I also think a lot of things like the economy for instance there isn't much debate left anyway Everybody, Everyone's on the same side. Everybody broadly agrees what we need is a welfare state. Right. We need a private sector. We cannot, uh, there's nobody, for instance, of any significance today saying that we should undo globalization and kick out the foreign companies. Nobody says that, right? Um, there is nobody um, who says. I mean, they were they, saying about FDI, right? They were saying that four years ago, five years ago when they were in the opposition. Well, <laughs> e e even then on FDI, it was always nuanced. It was it was never a blanket thing right. that we don't need FDI at all. It was about sector to sector, right. percentage. We should not have FDI in media, right, but right. FDI in, in let's say, insurance is okay, yeah, yeah. right? So, uh, um, so yes, it's it's issue by issue, but um, broadly, the vision of India as a secular state, or a pluralistic society. Uh, one where people of all religions are equal, mm -hmm. one where non-Hindus are not to be treated as second-class citizens but as equals. That is broadly what it means to be a liberal, uh, in my view. Okay, well, that's a fair answer. Um, so I have, uh, you know, questions about what our conversation that's been uh, off, um, just when we were conversation take, talking off record, um, about your interest in the first-time voter. Um, and I think that's very specific for this show because this entire audience is, is young diaspora members. And what, what I, I see, this is, it's a question I'm still struggling with. Mm -hmm. 
I, for the life of me, am unable to understand this noise about the first-time voter because when I talk to first-time voters, their behavior seems to be no different to, to me than of second-time voters, third-time voters, from, from their parents, from their grandparents. Does it have to be different? Well, you're coming with a set expectations that it's going to be the noise that has been made about Modi's appeal to first-time voters is that Modi is making first-time voters vote for him, mm-hmm. and they are overcoming the old traditional identities of caste and class and religion, and first-time yeah. voters are directly connected to the persona of Mr. Modi. Mm. What I found is that when a first-time voter is voting for Modi, often his father is also voting for Modi. Mm. Right? I And I could be totally wrong about this because I'm still doing research. A lot of data doesn't support what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The data says that first-time voters are disproportionately attracted towards uh, Narendra Modi. Um, so I could be totally wrong, mm-hmm. but it's still something I'm struggling with. This is similar to the issue of women voters in India. A lot of people insist that women voters have started voting independently. When I talk to them, I do not find that to be true. Okay. Right? It is, uh, it is true that they have a greater say in the household. So a little it, bit more autonomy. More uh, well, autonomy is where I don't know. I okay. think it's, it's, it's a little more participation. So the, it's not as if the husband tells her who to vote for, and she mindlessly goes and votes for that politician or party. Uh, the family sits together and decides who to vote for, where the where the input of the wife and the daughter and the mother also counts. I think that input, that uh, the weightage of that input is increased within the family. But does a wife vote separately and the husband vote separately? I tried asking this question and you know I have found no evidence of this to be true. A third one similar problem is caste. A lot of um, political scientists and academics, especially of the sort who are in the Videshi category rather than the Swadeshi category, uh, have been insisting that caste is no longer important to the Indian voter. You know, caste doesn't, wrong. Caste <laughs> doesn't matter, it's, 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 it's going away, it's irrelevant. And I think, I think the academics are trying to take India uh, ahead uh, of where Indian society yes. wants to be itself. Um, Nobody is saying caste is the only factor, right? And that is the straw man here. That uh, they argue that caste is not the only, caste is between caste is dead, and caste is the only thing that matters in elections. The truth lies somewhere in between. So I think one thing that I really took away from that entire narrative is when you were talking about and said uh, that caste. Um, for young people was completely irrelevant because Narendra Modi had transcended those barriers. And what That's I, the claim. Yeah. yeah, the claim. And what I found that, I think both are true in terms of, yes, they're voting for Narendra Modi, right? But they're also equally in tune with their caste creed or their identity that was given to them. Would you agree with that? The, and I don't think it's necessarily transcending those barriers, but the fact that you know young people are just as casteist, which I think a lot of them are in that presence. I think... Young people are more casteist than their previous generations. Really? Okay. Because if you see the kind of uh, caste mobilization and caste behavior that is taking place in social media mm-hmm. across geographic boundaries, mm-hmm. just talking about the chart agitation, for instance, the kind of affinity that chart organizations and individuals and leaders have shown in Haryana, Rajasthan, and West UP, for instance, 
is much more than what the kind of affinity they used to be in among jats in these three states and social media has been a very important tool in caste mobilization the particular agitation in gujarat for instance you know i would meet young patels who would show me videos on whatsapp to prove their point and when i would look at the whatsapp group it is some group about the patel community as it were so i think young people are more casteist one of the reasons for this is the high rate of unemployment is making young people talk more about reservations mm-hmm. in order to improve the chances of getting a government job so when the system itself says you will negotiate with us through caste they are forced to talk the language of caste and i don't see their forecast going away caste is i recently wrote that the 2021 census is going to count obc caste for the first time and therefore what we are going to see is caste meet big data caste meet big caste plus social media plus big data we are going into another another era of caste politics that i think uh, our academics will find easier to study <laughs> if you were to suggest um some authors just like you that are doing the type of writing that you're doing and that is on the digital sphere digestible and these are the things that I've constantly you know said and talked about and that I appreciate and I think other people are listening cuz I keep sending your articles to people uh you know and my columbia friends my oxford friends I'm like you read this right and they understand it whether they're the abcd whether they're you know someone that far off aloof etc um would you recommend any for for this audience as well that they can understand without getting into the theory literature um bogged down by the nuances um i really don't know <laughs> <laughs> one man show in india <laughs> uh, no no i don't i say i don't know what you mean by my kind of stuff um but i i'll tell, I literally I'll tell you i complimented you in the beginning of this podcast explaining you, why <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you who i enjoy reading <laughs> okay um i enjoy reading shekhar gupta okay um is national interest oh yes uh, and his factivist column uh-huh. um i enjoy reading a lot of reporting as well right i mean our opinion types are um, secondary to the world is, is reporting matters more so i think parth mn is a very good young reporter who draws out stories from uh, rural india from the hinterland uh, some of his election reporting is even reporting on unemployment in youth Uh, during the elections for us was fabulous i think um, i enjoy reading yogin reading yogin yadav a lot okay um oh else um i have to i have to say i am biased in favor of the print not because i write there but i think the print has some very good stuff what about mediums um, like news laundry and and scroll even though you're part of that as well what do you think about No I think <laughs> frankly I think um, a lot of these people don't get it how the world has changed okay um they're living in the past uh-huh. frankly um I think if I have to read a website whether or not I agree with it mm-hmm. about that that is sort of anti establishment I do read the wire okay uh, even if I don't agree with uh-huh. something they're saying mm-hmm. but i think um given how the media is full of modi propaganda uh, there are these small oases of um 
I, I would describe the print as an independent news organization, the wire as anti-establishment. Mm. Um, and a long list of pro-establishment <laughs> videos. Yeah, I don't even see, <laughs> see what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, frankly, the best place for uh, stuff today is Twitter. It's not one person, one platform, it's yeah. is Twitter. Okay, well, I'm gonna end it here um, because I found this conversation interesting. And um, I hope you did too, all the listeners that are listening. Absolutely, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining um, this week's episode. And I hope maybe we can have you another week with another conversation as well. Um, thanks again, Shivam. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Sufeshi Vibeshi. We'll be back next week with another episode and another guest to help explain what's going on in India to the diaspora. If you like this week's episode or any other episode, and if you want to give us some love, you can follow me on Twitter at Subhi or Instagram at Subhi Give us some suggestions, give us some love, and uh, help us out here. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.